Welcome to the TBE Richmond Podcast. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On this feed, you'll hear sermons, teachings, music, conversations with guests, and so much more from us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for learning and growing with us. To bigotry, no sanction. To persecution, no assistance. These words might sound familiar. Those who have paid particularly close attention uh, may notice this phrase as part of the prayer for our country we read most weeks. It's more than just a poetic turn of phrase, though. In fact, it's part of one of the most important documents in American Jewish history. In August of 1790, newly elected President George Washington was planning to visit Rhode Island to celebrate the state finally ratifying the Constitution in May of that year. In anticipation of his visit, Moses Seishas, the leader of Toro Synagogue in Newport, sent a letter to the president on behalf of his congregation. And amongst all the normal honorific language you expect in such a letter was this, quote, deprived as we heretofore have been of the invaluable rights of free citizens, we now with a deep sense of gratitude to the almighty disposer of all events, behold a government erected by the majesty of the people, generously affording to all liberty of conscience and immunities of citizenship. This may sound like a statement of fact, but make no mistake, it was a question. Remember, this is over a year before the Bill of Rights is ratified in December of 1791. While there was the proverbial handshake deal in place to get the Bill of Rights added, the Constitution itself is silent on many of the rights that we view as core to American life. Chief among them in the eyes of the Jews of Newport in 1790 being the freedom of religion. So you can imagine that line from the letter ending with a, right? Jewish people were deeply nervous about their place in the new country. Historically speaking, and looking around the world, government upheaval tended to end very badly for Jews. So they had a simple question for President Washington. Are we going to be okay? Washington responded to Seychas, and his letter of only 340 words would shape the country's view of and relationship with Jewish people. In part, he said, quote, for happily the government of the United States, which gives to bigotry no sanction, to persecution no assistance, requires only that they who live under its protection should demean themselves as good citizens and giving it on all occasions their effectual support. May the children of the stock of Abraham who dwell in this land continue to merit and enjoy the goodwill of the other inhabitants, while everyone shall sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree, and there shall be none to make him afraid." In short, everyone of all religions is a citizen here, and all, including Jews explicitly, are free to express their beliefs, with a nice little quote from the prophet Micah at the end there. That was enough to give the Jewish community confidence in its place in the country, and Washington's word was strong enough to shape the rights and freedoms we still enjoy. By the way, the originals of both of those letters are still at Toro Synagogue, and they do a public reading and celebration each August 22nd. I hear it's well worth attending. Okay, fascinating, I hope, history lesson there. What on earth does it have to do with, with this week's Parsha? This week we read Bamidbar, the first Parsha in the book of the same name, Numbers as it's often called in English. I won't lie, on its face, this is quite a dull Parsha. Each of the tribe's leader is named, a census is taken, and then each tribe is assigned a position relative to the Mishkan, the tabernacle. Issachar to the east, Reuven to the south, Ephraim and Menashe to the west, Asher to the north, and so on. Now, if that census sounds familiar, that's because it is. 
We read a few weeks ago about a census Moses conducted in order to figure out how many half-shekel portions would be contributed to build the tabernacle. So why do it again? Well, this census is for a very different reason. While the previous one was for the entire community, so they could donate properly, this one is much more narrow. Able-bodied men, age 20 and over. They're counting fighters. You see, while Genesis told the story of creation and the very foundations of Judaism, and Exodus recounted the rise of Moses and the escape from Egypt, and Leviticus is all about laws and holiness, Bamidbar is a different book altogether. It is a book of war. Well, it's a book about preparing for war. The Israelites are determined to be ready this time. They aren't the ragtag group of former slaves getting picked off shortly after the Exodus. They're organized and ready for what comes next. Certainly the taking of the promised land, or so they think, we'll see how that gets messed up in a few weeks, but also ready to defend themselves against any who would do them harm. The bigger picture is one that echoes through Jewish history, to Torah Synagogue in 1790 and to all of us today. How do we as Jews interact with the world around us? It's no secret that throughout history, we've had a rough go of things. The question of the residents of Newport Post to Washington is a completely valid one. Most countries fairly quickly establish a state religion, typically some form of Christianity or Islam, and Jews find themselves on the outside of that ruling group with equal speed. In some cases, it's as simple as paying an additional tax. In others, it's as devastating as the Holocaust. And you can find examples that fit everywhere in between. In all those instances, we, reminder, we remember the Israelites in Bamidbar, organized, proud, standing together, ready to defend their own. And so we do. In times of strife and difficulty, we come together and support each other because despite our differences, we share a heritage and a community. I've seen this happen in my lifetime. Growing up in the early 90s, anti-Semitism seemed largely like a relic of the past. Sure, there were some bad people who thought and said terrible things, but everyone agreed hating Jews was bad. Some of this was certainly an naivete of youth, but it's also borne out historically. Levels of anti-Semitic violence were a tiny fraction of what they are today, and the internet was still in its infancy making it difficult for those who spewed hate to connect with each other. In recent years, however, the number of explicitly anti-Semitic attacks has risen dramatically, to say nothing of things like comments and rhetoric that don't appear in statistics. As many of you know, I am honored to teach 6th and 7th grade at our religious school. I cannot count the number of my students, 12, 13 years old, who say they've encountered anti-Semitism in their lives already. Some casual unknowing, and some unfortunately very much deliberate. How do we reckon with this? How do we react to the threats around us? For that, I turn back to the Parsha and the one tribe that isn't positioned around the camp, the tribe of Levi. The Levites are pulled out and counted specially and given a sacred duty to guard the tabernacle itself. In this, the Levites are uniquely positioned among the tribes as the bridge between the holy and the mundane while not being fully either. They're not the ones who minister in the tabernacle, that right belongs to the Kohanim, the priests, but they support the Kohanim in the daily function of the rituals of the Israelites. They're also not fully a part of the Israelite population as they are permanently tied to the tabernacle itself and given their own set of rules and duties, including moving it as the Israelites traverse the desert. They're not part of the guard around the camp, but they're the guards of the tabernacle. In this, we see the further dual role of the Levites as guardians, both physical and spiritual. They will defend the tabernacle against all threats and in doing so, defend the sacredness of that holy space. What that looks like depends on the situation. Sometimes it involves swords and spears against external foes. Other times it involves preserving what resided at the core of ancient Israelite practice. 
The same is true when we look at how we as Jewish people interact with the world today. Not every situation is the same, so not every response can be the same. We are sometimes pressed to take on the dual role of the ancient Levites, protecting our physical well-being while also maintaining our central Jewishness. And we must maintain vigilance on both of these fronts. Things like assimilation do not pose a physical danger, but threaten to erode our very identity as a Jewish people. While the lofty goal of bigotry, no sanction to persecution, no assistance is a laudable one, it is often not the reality of the world we find ourselves in. In times where we find ourselves under threat, we look at the Israelites again in Parshat Bamidbar. We form a firm and unbreakable wall of protection around that which is most valuable, our future generations and the meaning of what it is to be Jewish. Like the ancient Israelites, we don't know what exact form the threats will take. We stand ready to turn them all back. And we all have a role to play in this. Without any aspect of the Jewish people, without Orthodox, conservative, reformer, reconstructionist, without Karaites and Beta Israel, without Ashkenazi, Sephardi, and Mizrahi, without all of us, we leave ourselves exposed and weakened. As each tribe had its place around the tabernacle, but all with the same goal and expectations, so too do all Jews in the world find ourselves as defenders of the Jewish people and Judaism in some way. Again, the ways Jews interact with the countries we live in and the people around us vary, but we can all uphold those who need help the most. One final point I want to make about this Parsha. When Moses is commanded to take the census, God says, Se'u et rosh kol adat b'nei Yisrael l'mishpichotam levet avotam b'mispar shemot kol zachar. Take a census of the whole Israelite company by the clans of its ancestral houses, listing the names every male. This is not just counting off anonymous figures being sent to die. Each person is called by name and recognized as an individual. This idea comes up again after the numbers and positions are revealed, as the Israelites are told they will encamp in groups. Ish al-Machanehu v'ish al-Diglo. Each man with his own division and each under his own flag. Here we see the balance that forms the basis of ancient Israelite and modern Jewish society. Each person as an individual under their own flag, but also part of a larger group. Each of us must develop our own personal Jewish journey, but this journey doesn't exist in a vacuum. We are also the continuation of a larger Jewish tradition, carrying forward myriad teachings, customs, and interpretations. We cannot simply make up a brand new Judaism for ourselves, but must exist as individuals in a larger relationship, a covenantal, a historical relationship with each other and the Jewish community as a whole. And this cuts both ways. We must acknowledge that the Jewish community is not complete unless people are finding their own place within it. Judaism is not one size fits all. It is, not, it is only when each person finds their own place and mission within the broader Jewish community that we can truly be whole. The description of Ben Midbar is striking. Each person finds their place in a camp and each camp finds its relationship to each other. Only when those are set, established, and full can the entire people move forward with the presence of God dwelling in the middle. And then, to quote both the prophet Micah and George Washington, perhaps, everyone shall sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree, and there shall be none to make him afraid. Shabbat Shalom. This has been the TBE Richmond Podcast. Once again, I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. 
On behalf of all of us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia, thanks for listening. I hope this episode was uplifting and enriching. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And please rate and review us so others will have an easier time joining the conversation. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Learn more about our dynamic, warm, and passionate congregation affiliated with the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism at www.bethelrichmond.org. Until next time, shalom y'all. 